Now, Matthew 28, 19 is our charter here at Reaching Hearts and in the Adventist Church because we must comply with this great commission. Christ says, go therefore. That means we cannot stay where we're at. We are to go and find people. Go therefore and make disciples of how many people? All nations. No place for racism in the Christian church. None. God's church is to be made up of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. Now, what are we to do? Baptizing them what? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to Trinity and teach them that Christ is our Savior. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Thanks for listening today. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is entitled, The Church on Fire. Here's our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. The promise was made in the Old Testament that God's people would rise as God would raise up the fallen booth of David. In Acts 15, the church was struggling. Can we accept these Gentiles, these new believers into the church who don't worship the way we do, who don't think the way we do, who don't dress the way we do, who don't look the way we do? We don't like Gentiles. We were taught that. But Jesus says, love your enemies, and they're not our enemies. He says, they're our brethren. So what do we do? How do we bring them in? And they struggle with the issue of circumcision. You know, the great sign of Judaism. Do we make them get circumcised like us or not? And so on. So they had a great world session to pan out that question. And it was decided right there in Acts 15, they would use the Holy Scriptures to answer the question. And the Holy Spirit came upon the church and they were guided to be flexible and yet at the same time committed to the Bible. And they opened the doors for the Gentiles to become Christians. An amazing thing. And James, the brother of Jesus, stood up. And proclaimed the text of Amos 9, 11 to 15 as the scripture that says they must accept the Gentiles. Let me share it with you. He rose and he proclaimed at that council what Amos had said. In that day, God writes, I will raise up the booth or tent of David that has fallen and repair its breaches. And raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. That they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name says the Lord. Verse 13, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes. Him who sows seed, the mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. Verse 14, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. Now that's a promise you can underline in your Bible. Struggling with my RA, stock market crash. God says there comes a time in your life when he will restore your fortunes. And it comes when you are committed to God to God's church, His service, and His plan, God will restore your life. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel that they shall rebuild. Now, why does He restore fortunes here? Not so you can just stuff them in a corner. The purpose is a holy calling, that they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. Now, the landscaping people, how many of you noticed the landscaping people have been working on the property here? Can I share with you a secret? Here's the secret. I talked to the landscaper this week. I said, sir, we have some plantings that we need in this church. Could we add some fruit trees in the back? Like peaches and apples and pears. And guess what? Fruit trees are online. 
when that backfield opens up, we're going to have a garden going on. And we're going to have the joy of experiencing some of our own fruit. All right, get back to the sermon here. It says, they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. That's us. I will plant them upon their land, and they shall never again be plucked out of the land which I have given them, says the Lord your God. That is a promise for us. And so the early church became the planting, the vineyard of the Lord, the people of the promise, the people of the cross, planted by the great victory of God they were for a holy mission in life. The promise of Christ's coming, friend, is a promise that the church of Christ can be set on fire for holy and godly ends at the end of time. When God came down on Mount Sinai, I mean, you read the Old Testament, he came down in fire, like a massive column of volcanic ash and fire and smoke. It filled the mountain and God showed up. And you know what? If I see something like that in my backyard, I'm running. And that's what the people of Israel did. They ran as fast as they could away from God. But the fire that consumes came for a cause. It did not come to destroy. It came to bring life. It came to purify the people of God. Turn to Exodus 20, verse 18. Now here, Moses is recording what transpired as the Ten Commandments were spoken. When all the people perceived the thunderings and the lightnings and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking... The people were what? What does the Bible say? They were afraid. And they trembled and they stood afar off. Boy, there have been times in my religious experience when I've been afraid of God. When I've been afraid that God would whack at me. You ever felt that way? But I felt like, you know, maybe God's out to get me or something. And that's a human response when we see the glory and majesty of God. Verse 19 And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will live, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. I mean, he talks to us, we drop dead. That's not a good thing, Moses. You brought us out of Egypt so we can look at a God that will burn us to death? Come on. And Moses said to the people, do not fear. Now Jesus would say that very often in his ministry. Don't be afraid. For God has come to prove you. And that the fear of him may be before your eyes that you may not sin. I don't like the English translation here because it's not literal enough. The Hebrew literally reads in verse 20, For God has come to test you that his fear, literally, will be upon your faces so you will not sin. Now they were afraid of the fire. They knew that God is a fire. It says that in Deuteronomy 4, that our God is a consuming fire. It's quoted in Hebrews 12. And so they knew that God is a fire, and they were afraid of God because God is a fire. And God was saying, I have come so that the fire that you are afraid of, the presence that you are running from will be upon your faces so you will not sin. You see, we need the fire. The people of God drew far away from God because they were afraid, but God drew close to them. And so Moses went up into that mountain. His face was set on fire because he knew that in order to have God, he needed the Holy Spirit fire of God. He must meet God face to face. And the Bible is very clear. His face began to shine. And because it began to shine, people began to look away from him just like they did from God. That glory faded because a greater glory was coming according to Paul in Second Corinthians. God determined that he would raise up his church At a time when people would not be running from the fire, they would run to God in Christ and receive the fire. Why? Because we need to become the church on fire. Our hope is in the fire. Acts 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had come. Now Jesus had died on the cross. He was resurrected. He had interacted with those precious early Christians. And when they got used to him being alive, he ascended to heaven. 
but he left with them the promise of the Holy Spirit. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Comforter, the Spirit, and he'll lead you into all truth. And so we find on the day of Pentecost, right here in Acts 2.1, the grand fulfillment of the promise of Christ. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, kind of like church here. And suddenly a sound came from heaven, like the rush of a mighty wind, like our duck system. You can hear it sometimes. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them, what does it say in the text? What does it say? Not fire, tongues as of fire. So fire and tongues together. Distributed and resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, just like the fire that came down on Mount Sinai, it's the same time. You see, God showed up in the third month at Mount Sinai. That's the time of the Feast of Pentecost. And so we find the New Testament fulfillment of Sinai being worked out right here at the time of Pentecost. The law was given in the Old Testament in the third month at Sinai. You see, what happened at Pentecost is equally relevant, more so, in fact. God takes the same law that he spoke at Sinai, and in the New Covenant... At the Feast of Pentecost, he writes it with fire upon the mind and the heart of his people. He does not put it on stone. He puts it where it needs to go. Now, how many of you are here sitting in a blue chair? Sitting in a blue chair? Now, what color is the ceiling above us? You have learned that the Ten Commandment Law of God was taken physically from the blue sapphire throne of God. And when you go to Exodus chapter 10, you'll find that that blue sapphire throne of God from which the law of God came, there is fire within it. God's law is mixed with the fire. You see, we cannot live the law of God in our life. We cannot be obedient in our life without the fire of the Holy Spirit, the love of God in our life. We must be the church on fire. So they all gathered in one place there, and that describes a unity of purpose. The church is together here. In Acts 1.14, the Greek text says they were in a state of homothumidon. That's the Greek. It means one accord of one mind, of one purpose. Self-interest was set aside for the interest and purpose of God, for the needs of others. One purpose, one plan reigned supreme in the hearts of those early Christians converted in heart to God. They were determined to take the message of a crucified and risen Savior to the world, the message of God's forgiveness. And they were determined that there would be no one left out from that call. And they knew that they could not do this unless they were in one place, in one accord, seeking the Spirit of God. And so they gathered to pray. And they gathered to surrender their ways to God. And they prayed for God to show them the way. That's why we have to pray here. I mean, really. We're not going to get to heaven unless we have the same attitude of praying for the power of God in our life. So when the mighty wind of the Holy Spirit broke into that upper room, they were filled with the Holy Spirit as tongues of fire settled on their heads. It was like Moses on Mount Sinai all over again, but better because Christ had gone up Mount Zion into the presence of God. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came down Christ like described in Psalms 133 as the oil anoints the high priest coming down his beard, his garbs, his feet, down Mount Hermon, down to us that we can live. It was the fulfillment of this Old Testament imagery. 
You are listening to Reaching Your Heart. More with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. A reminder, we are a listener-funded ministry. We do appreciate your support. If you can help us out with a financial contribution, here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. You can also find us on the web at reachingyourheart.com. Here he is, Pastor Mike, once again. The Bible says that as the Holy Spirit descended tongues of fire, they begin to speak in different tongues or other tongues. That's what it says in the English here. Now, the Greek word for tongues is glosse. It's just another word for languages, a language. He's not saying something fabulous or unknown. It's the common Greek word for a language. It says different or other languages. Now, they spoke Aramaic at that time. They'd spoken Hebrew prior to the Babylonian captivity. So they were hearing languages other than Aramaic right there at that time. In fact, the text indicates that they spoke in the clear, distinct languages that were accurate to the local dialect of the people who were visiting there. And there were people from all over the world. So it's not the stuff that is false fire today. And there is false Holy Spirit fire out there today that claims to be coming from God. And it does not meet the test of Scripture. There's not gibberish here that no one can understand, that no one can translate. We have here real communication with real languages. That is the authentic gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 5. And now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one heard them speaking his own language. Now think about the picture here. Where have we seen in the Old Testament where people were driven apart because they couldn't understand the language? We go all the way back to the Tower of Babel. And so God allowed the languages to be confused and they were not getting along and they separated, right? So here we see in Acts 2 the reversal of the Tower of Babel. We see the Holy Spirit descending, people understanding in their own language, and they come together and it's false fire. The Greek word for language here translated in verse 6 is the Greek word dialectos. And we get our English word dialect from it. So it was not a language which was separate from that which could be understood. It was a clear, discernible dialect that they heard them speak. That is the gift of tongues in the New Testament. People heard the gospel in their own language. Now, I'd love to get that gift. But you realize it's at the bottom of the list of gifts in the New Testament? It's not high up. And why was it so important in the apostolic era? Because they had to evangelize in areas of the world and they didn't have language institutes or nothing of the like. So God says, I'm going to jumpstart the Christian church. I'm going to get it out there. And they could move anywhere in the world and be understood and the message could be received properly. Verse 7, And they were amazed and wondered, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galilee? How is this that we hear each of us in his own native language? That day, Peter preached a powerful sermon that connected the heart and the head with God. People realized who Jesus was that day. And they realized that God had sent his son to die for them. And their hearts were pricked. And they gave their lives to Christ. And they came forward in the altar call that Peter gave. And they were baptized that day. Verse 38, Acts 2. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. And what does the text say? Oh, just a few of you, right? No, every one of you. Now notice he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, for what purpose? For the forgiveness of your sins. And then what is the result of baptism? And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not a bad spirit, not our spirit, God's spirit, God's attitude, the mind of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 39, for the promise is to you, 
Now, I like this next part. And to what? Your children. Our kids need to be saved. Let's just face it. We want our kids saved. In verse 39, it says, For the promise for you and to your children, to all that are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Friend, God has not called the few. God has called the many. In fact, he calls everyone. Those who are near and those who are far away. If you are trying to restrict the work of God because you think only a few should be around the church, you've got the wrong view. A remnant is established to win the many. That's what the book of Daniel teaches. It says, And those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. The remnant turn the many to righteousness. The church is here. If it's a remnant, it's here to grow. It's here to be a church without walls that welcomes every person for Jesus' sake to be saved. Friend, God is calling out to us, and he's asking us to surrender our lives for this cause. Now, God never calls people without preaching or teaching as power. Verse 40 And Peter testified with many other words and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this, I like this phrase, this crooked generation. The Greek is perverse or twisted. I mean, he's describing our time. The generational mix is twisted and crooked. Save yourself from that. Be baptized into Christ. Come into the church. It is a safety net away from that kind of thing. And so the call goes out to a twisted kind of generation in that time and ours to come to Christ and be saved. Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, we have 550 chairs here. Right here. And we can get a few more in those rooms. Maybe some overflow. But, you know, when we get there, we need to plan a new church. Right? We need to plan a new church and do the work of God in that way. The Greek word for soul here means life. 3,000 lives were saved in baptism. That's why people are baptized. Acts 2.42 shows the picture of the church on fire. Now I want to dwell on this verse to bring out four simple points that we need to think about in our future here at Reaching Hearts. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now here are the four vital elements for our church that we need. Characteristic number one of the church on fire, they devoted themselves to what? What does the text say? The apostles' teaching. Now what do they teach? They did not teach philosophy. They did not teach humanism. They taught what Jesus taught them. Christ taught them the Bible, and Christ told them what he had to say as the living word of God. And that's what they took, and that's what they taught. And the people ate it up because that's what they needed. That's what we need. The church cannot grow without this. Acts 4.13 It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They wondered and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So the teaching was not weak, it was bold and direct and clear so people could be saved. Now Matthew 28, 19 is our charter here at Reaching Hearts and in the Adventist Church because we must comply with this great commission. Christ says, go therefore. That means we cannot stay where we're at. We are to go and find people. Go therefore and make disciples of how many people? All nations. No place for racism in the Christian church. None. God's church is to be made up of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. Now what are we to do? Baptizing them what? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to Trinity and teach them that Christ is our Savior. Teaching them to observe what? 
all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always when? To the end of the age. Characteristic number two of the church on fire, they devoted themselves to the apostles' fellowship. Just like Jesus had spent time with them, the leaders of the early church spent time fellowshipping with the members of the early church. Let me make this commitment to you. I'm an introvert. Some of you think I'm an extrovert, but I'm an introvert. How many of you know me? Yeah, I'm an introvert. But I want to be your friend. The apostles, they were the friends of their members of that early church. I want to be your friend. Now, my wife is the extrovert. It's easy to be a friend with Diana. But she works on me, and I do my best. I want to fellowship with you. I want to eat with you. I want to pray for you. I want this place to be a place of fellowship where we do what the early church did. We fellowship together. And no pastor is so high and mighty around here. We can't mow the lawn together. We can't work on this place together and be part of the same family. John 15, 15, Jesus said, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Characteristic number three of the church on fire. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now we have a kitchen in our new church. Have you guys seen that? But you know, it's more than that. It's the breaking of bread in Holy Communion. You know, we need to meet more often and break bread and look at the cross and grow in Christ. Jesus is revealed in the breaking of bread. Luke 24, 30, 36. I'm just going to summarize these verses. On the road to Emmaus, when Christ was walking with those two men, they didn't know that he was Jesus until they came to the house and he broke bread with them. And as those nail-pierced hands broke the bread, they suddenly realized that he was Lord. Christ is revealed to us when we have Holy Communion and we have the breaking of bread in the church as it was. And so they went and they told them, we have seen the Lord. We see the Lord when we break bread. Characteristic number four of the church on fire, they devoted themselves to prayer. There is no growth and there is no power in the church and no fire here unless we pray for the fire. We must pray for God's Spirit in our lives in the morning, at church, as much, as often as we can. This church was created to be a place for prayer. Now, what do we do here? We pray for each other. We pray for the cause of God. We pray for healing. We pray for miraculous interventions. And we pray to give thanks to God for the goodness of His leading our life. Luke 21, 34, But take heed to yourself, Jesus said, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation, with drunkenness and cares of this life. That describes the world system. And that day come upon you suddenly like a snare. You know, Jesus is coming. He is coming with fire at the end of the age. It will surprise the world. Dear heart, do not let it surprise you. For Jesus says, for it will come upon all who dwell upon the face of the whole earth. But watch at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Friend, nothing we have here is so important that we need to be too busy to pray. We need to pray. And when we pray, the living Christ will enter our church. When the gentle Spirit of God blows, where the fire of God blows on every face, where it is felt in prayer, where hearts are set on fire in love to save the lost, that heart is saved for eternity. Because selfless people will live forever in God's kingdom, not selfish people. And so as the fire of God 
comes into our life and the church is set on fire, we will look like that apostolic church at the end of the age. I'd like to end by simply describing the outcome of what happened. Acts 2.43, And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they partook of the food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number that day those who were being saved. Dear Father God, we want to be saved. We want this house to be a house of prayer for all people. We want Jesus here. Give us the Holy Spirit, the mind and love and attitude of Christ. May many lives be saved as they are baptized in this holy house. May our children be saved here and take us home to your house in the end. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today to Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. We are a listener-supported ministry and would love for you to partner with us as we continue to present Christ-centered biblical truths of Scripture in practical and relevant ways. Call us right now at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Visit the website reachingyourheart.com to find out more about this ministry, Reaching Your Heart, and Pastor Michael Oxentenko. That's Reaching Your yourheart.com. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. You can donate right there on the website, reachingyourheart.com. 888-244-HOPE. Thanks for listening. And as always, we do pray that God is reaching your heart. 